And let's pray for the word now as we open up the scriptures. So I'm in Psalm 119. What a powerful chapter. I think we have three, four more total uh, coming around the last lap now. And this has been powerful for me. And let's pray for God to meet us again this morning. So I'll lead. Lord, I pray, we pray together that you'd come now. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, as I preach to be clear and uh to be in sync with your word, to be faithful to what you intended to be understood from this passage. And Lord, I pray that you would touch each of us. Lord, we each need to hear the truths that are in these eight verses. And so I pray for your power to come upon us and to do a mighty work now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to introduce the topic of this passage, I want you to think about this, and that is that All through the Bible, I mean, this is all through the Bible, we read that whenever we are facing a situation with a problem that looks like insurmountable, a problem that looks impossible, the Bible tells us that we can call upon God through Jesus Christ, and every time he will hear us and he will answer us. Every time you face a seemingly insurmountable problem, Every time you can call upon God through Jesus Christ and he will hear and he will answer. A couple illustrations. Uh, David in Psalm chapter 40. This is a time when he was just feeling really low spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. He says that it's like he was sinking down into miry clay. He was just like going under. And he says he, he called upon the Lord. He was waiting upon the Lord. And the Lord answered him. David says, he, the Lord set my feet upon a rock. He made my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. And that's what God does. When we face problems that are beyond our ability, seem insurmountable to us, we call upon God and he helps us. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 14, I was just reading about this this week. Another one of those times where nation of Israel is there and marauding armies are coming at them. This is a nation that has twice as many soldiers as Israel had. And King Asa prays and says, God, help us. God, deliver us. And God delivers them, even though the other armies were twice as big as Israel's armies. God delivered them. That's what God does. Every time we face what seems to be an insurmountable problem, if we will call upon God through Jesus Christ, he will hear and he will answer. One more example. Second Corinthians 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh passage. So Paul had some huge difficulty, physical difficulty, ailment, illness. We aren't sure exactly what it was. But he longed to be freed from it. And he, he prayed and he cried out to God to free him. He says he prayed three distinct times where he's just crying out to the Lord. And God said, I'm not going to heal you from this, but I'm going to pour my love and my grace and my nearness into your heart. And God so poured his love into Paul's heart that Paul was completely satisfied and content, even with the ailments continuing. That's what God does. He loves us so much in Christ. When we face problems that seem insurmountable, all through the scripture we see this. Godly men, godly women, calling upon God through Jesus Christ, and the Father hears and the Father answers. But not only does the Bible tell us that, the Bible also tells us how to pray at those times when we need to ask for God's help. How should we pray? How do we go about it? What should we say? 
And the next eight verses in Psalm 119 tell us how. So let's turn to Psalm 119, verses 145 to 152. This is on page, we're going to pass out these Bibles. Who needs Bibles? Raise your hand. I want you all to have a Bible you can look at. We are passionate about studying the Bible here, as we like to say. And so it's on page 515 in the Bibles we're passing out. One way of looking at Psalm 119 is that it is, it's like a prayer manual. Here we get a, a snapshot into the heart of a godly man, probably was one of Israel's kings, might have been David, we aren't sure who it was, but here we get, a, this is like his prayer journal that we can read to see how did he pray, what did he pray, what kind of language did he use, how did he appeal to God, what's in his heart, what does he do? And so here we're going to learn how he prayed when he faced a situation that seemed insurmountable. So let's read these verses, 145 to 152, and notice what we learn about what situation he faced. What was the problem that he faced? So start with verse 145. He says, With my whole heart I cry, Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Okay, so what situation was the author facing? Now, here's what I noticed See if these are the same things that you noticed as we just read it through. I noticed in verse 146, he cries out to God, save me. Okay, so he was facing some situation that only God could deliver him from. He needed to be saved from some problem. And then I noticed in verse 147, he says he's crying to God for help. So he needed to be saved from something and he needed to be helped by God. So what did he need to be saved from? Why did he need help? You can see that in verse 150. He says, They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. Now we've seen this all through Psalm 119. There's this group of men, politically connected, politically influential men, who had it out for the author of Psalm 119. They were publicly slandering him. Remember that week we talked about that? They were seeking to kill him, he says, and here they're drawing near. We don't, that may mean that their chariots have all pulled up in front of his house, and we don't know what that means. But they are drawing near, these men who want to persecute him, who want to kill him, who've been publicly slandering him, these influential, powerful, politically connected men, they are drawing near. That's why he has to cry out to God. He's facing a, a massive problem. So that's the situation that he's facing. And what does he do when he faces this massive problem? He turns to God and he cries to God for help. And I noticed a couple different ways he describes this. Verse 145, he says, With my whole heart I cry, Answer me, O Lord. 
Verse 146, I call to you, save me. Verse 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. Help me. And then verse 149, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Okay, so when he faces a massive problem, he cries out to God for help. That's the truth. And we see that all through the Bible. Now, I would guess that's not a new truth for most of you. Okay, if, if we would have asked most of you before you were here this morning, when you face difficult problems, should you cry out to God for help? You'd probably say, you'd get that one right. You know, true, false, or no, true, yes, we should do that. So I, I think most all of us know that. Okay, but let's just take a few moments and let's let the Holy Spirit take this truth and probe down a little bit deeper into our hearts with it. It's one thing to know this. It's another thing to do this, Right? So let's just probe a little deeper. Now think about a time recently when you had a big problem. Work, family, children, parents, relationship, finance, health, duh, whatever it might be. You, you faced a, a huge, seemingly insurmountable problem. Okay, can you think of one? Okay, now, did you pray and ask God for help? Did you did you take time where you where you intentionally were focused, not just while you were driving or you know during the commercials, but but you were setting everything else aside, TV off, out of the car, you're sitting at your desk or on your couch or kneeling down on the floor somewhere, and you're you're intently asking God, help me, help me, Father. Did you do that? I'm sure lots of you did, okay, but I would guess that some of you didn't, or maybe. Not much. And what I want you to understand is that this is exactly what God's calling us to do. I mean, picture it like this. God is sitting on his throne up in the heavens. We're talking about God here, who is infinite in power. Okay, so powerful that when there was nothing besides the Trinity, he spoke and a universe came into existence. We're talking power, right? So here's God on his throne with all the power there is, infinite power, total sovereignty over everything, flawless wisdom, abounding mercy and love and goodness, and he is sitting there on his throne, and when you have a problem, he is sitting there with everything that you need for your problem. Everything you need, it's right there, he's got it, and he's just waiting for you to ask for help. He's just waiting for you. He has everything you need for every problem you will ever face. Waiting for you to ask him to help. That is so motivating to me. He's not busy doing something else. And he's not thinking, you know, I don't have time for you. He is right there giving you his full undivided attention whenever you've got problems. And he's just waiting for you to ask him because he has everything that you need to help when you face that seemingly insurmountable problem. So, Mercy Hill Church. When you face problems, ask God for help through Jesus Christ. Come to him and say, help me. That's what the author here does. And that's what we should do. So how did he pray and ask God for help? So I studied these eight verses and I found, I think it's eight, just really helpful suggestions that, that, that you know, ways that he prayed that I found, I found all of them. It's like, oh, that's really helpful. So let's take a look at these, okay? 
So how does he pray and ask God for help? First thing I noticed, right there in verse 145, he cries out with his whole heart. Verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. Okay, what what would it be like to cry out with like a quarter of your heart? Help, okay? Half your heart? Help, okay? Your whole heart? Help! Right? So when you pray and you're, you're deeply concerned about this problem and you're feeling the concern and you're fearful about it, do you pray with your whole heart? Or do you just kind of put on some kind of a strange like religious tone, like, oh God, help me. You know, like, like you got to sound, no, 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 no. When David prays, he says, with my whole heart I cry. Answer me, O Lord. Help me. Do you pray that way? And if not, why not? If that's what's in your heart, express your heart to the Lord. That's what he wants you to do. So first step I saw, or first suggestion, cry out with your whole heart. Not a quarter of your heart or half of your heart, your whole heart. Second, he directly asks God for help. Now, here's why I mention this. Sometimes when we pray, I do this sometimes, and and I think we all do, uh, we can kind of beat around the bush in terms of we know what we need, but we're just kind of beating around the bush. So we say, oh, you know, oh God, you know, you know everything, and you know, you, you know what's best, and I'm not really sure what your will is here, and other people have bigger problems than I do. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. You haven't asked him to do anything, right? Just kind of beating around the bush. And I noticed in this passage that the author, he just directly asks God for help. Look at verse 145. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Very direct request from God verse, uh, to God. Verse 146. I call to you, save me. These men are drawing near. Save me from them. A very specific, tangible request. Verse 149. Two more specific requests. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. And then, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They want to kill me. Keep me alive. Okay, so... Don't beat around the bush. I mean, ask yourself, why why do we tend to beat around the bush? We shouldn't. Direct requests all through the Bible. Direct requests. Heal. Give me wisdom. Protect me. Provide for me. I need wisdom here. Change this person's heart. I mean, just come right out and ask him. Okay? That's the second one. Third. This is very interesting. He tells God his motives for why God should respond. Okay, read verse 145 again and notice that last phrase, which kind of sounds puzzling when you first read it. Verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. Why does he say that? What does he mean when he says, I will, I will keep your statutes? And it would help me, and this is just a helpful Bible study tool, you've used this before, just keep reading. Sometimes if you keep reading, it'll become more clear. Verse 146, he says something very similar, but with slightly different language, which makes it more clear what he's saying. Look at verse 146. I call to you, save me, and now get this next line, that I may observe your testimonies. So he's saying, 
God, the reason I'm asking you to save my life, preserve my life here, is because if you keep me alive, I'll be able to keep observing your testimonies. I'll be able to keep fulfilling your purpose for me. I'll be able to keep advancing your purposes in the world. And that's the same thing he's saying in verse 145. Help me answer my prayer, protect my life, and I'll be able to keep obeying your statutes, keep fulfilling the things you've called me to do here. So see, what he's doing is he's explaining to God his motives in praying. Father, the reason I want you to do this, my my heart, I'm not perfect, but Lord, my my heart's right. I've got good motives. This will be glorifying to you. This will help me to obey you, help me to advance your purposes, help me to keep leading the people of Israel. He's probably a king, it seems like. So Lord, if you will keep me alive, I'll be able to keep obeying you. So he's stating to God his good and holy motives. Now, what if your motives aren't good and holy? Okay? And that's true for all of us. Much of the time, in fact, I think probably all the time, there's some impurities in our motives. And so what do you do? Well, what I would encourage you to do is just be honest. Say, Lord, forgive me. You know, a big reason I want these people killed is I just hate them. You know? Right? Just jerks, you know? Kill them. Lord, forgive me. I mean, that's not merciful. You're just. And, and so you just confess to the Lord those parts of your motives that aren't right. So, Lord, forgive me. And you fight the fight of faith by asking him to change your heart, and you meditate over relevant scriptures, and you will feel the Holy Spirit changing your motives. So don't pretend if your motives are, are, are lousy. Don't pretend. I mean, be honest. But don't just settle for impure motives. The Lord will help you. And then once again say, okay, Lord, you've changed my heart. This is for your glory. This is for your for your uh, good. This is for help me to be able to keep advancing your purposes. That's why I'm bringing this before you. I'm asking this, Lord, because it'll be helpful for this person. I'm asking you because it'll help my family. I'm ask- So you, you, you mention to God the good reasons. Now, why mention your good and holy motives, though? Why? Why, why mention that? It's not because your good and holy motives earn good answers from God. We're all wired to think that. Okay? Human religion is, is always ends, ends up saying, well, you earn good stuff from God. You be good, and then he'll be good to you. That's, uh, that's what all human religions say. And they're all wrong. Okay? Because we can never be good enough to earn anything good from God. So that's not why he tells God about his good motives. The Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation that the only reason God can do anything good to any of us isn't because of our goodness. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross, which paid for our sins, and his perfect righteousness. And we are connected to Jesus' death and righteousness by faith alone. It's not not your goodness, it's your faith in him, you're connected to Jesus, and so then God can lavish his blessings on you. So why why do we then tell God about our good and holy motives? It's because that shows that our faith is genuine. It shows that we have the faith that connects us to Jesus. It's not that our faith earns the good stuff from God, it's that we're connected to Jesus, whose death and righteousness earns for us the good stuff from God. Huge difference, do you see that? So, Tell God the real, the good, holy, righteous motives that you have for why you're asking for these things, not as a way thinking that you're earning good from God, but Lord, I want this for your glory and for your honor, and that shows that my faith in Jesus Christ is genuine, and so because of Jesus Christ's blood and righteousness, you can lavish these good things upon me. So do it, please, I pray. See how that works? Humbles you, glorifies Christ, 
assures you that even though you've sinned yesterday or Wednesday or last weekend, he can still pour out blessings upon you because you've confessed that and now you're connected to Jesus and you're covered by his righteousness and he can pour his blessings out upon you. Are you getting this? So how often when you pray do you tell God the motives that you have for why you're praying? Do that in this way and it'll strengthen your faith and glorify his name and he'll just be really pleased. So that's third. And fourth, he sets aside times that are devoted to prayer. Verses 147, 148. It's kind of shocking when you read it. He says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. What, what time would that be? Before dawn, like uh, eight? No, no. What would before dawn be? Five? Four? Three, three is before dawn, right? Okay, so the, the point is, he intentionally sets a, a special time, early in this case, to get up to pray for help, to ask God for help. And in the next verse, 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. So there, there, there are different watches, military watches in Israel, like from sunset to 10, 10 to 2, 2 to sunrise. And the language here, most of the commentators said the point is that he's awake like before that last watch of the night, the last one like from, from 2 to sunrise. So he's awake. See, he has stayed up late to pray. So the point is that maybe he sets his alarm clock for 4 o'clock one morning. So that he can get a special time to pray before he's got to go to work. Or he stays up after the kids and everybody else has gone to bed. He can stay up until midnight, 1, 2 o'clock to pray, whatever it might be. But here's the point. When, when you're facing a big problem, do you set aside special time where all you do is just pray and ask God to help you? That's what we should do. Oh, and he will meet us. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us. He will encourage us. So set aside times that are devoted to prayer. Fifth, as he prays, he strengthens his faith by meditating on God's promises. This was so encouraging to see. Verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. So he stays up really late sometimes to pray. And then he says, that I may meditate on your promise. So part of his time of prayer is meditating on God's promises. He prays some. And then he meditates on God's promises some. Now why? I thought he was praying. Why, why bring this meditating on God's promises thing in? Well, here's, here's how I experienced this on Monday. Okay, Monday I was, I was very aware that there was something in my heart that I was loving more than Jesus. I was fearful of losing it. I was preoccupied by it. I was bothered about it. And the Holy Spirit just convicted me. You know what the problem is, Fuller? It's that you're loving this more than Jesus, which is just foolishness because Jesus is my, our, all-satisfying treasure. Okay, but I was blinded by my sin and loving something else more than Jesus. So I was just out by the creek near house praying and asking him to change my heart. And uh, my heart wasn't changing. In fact, my heart was feeling really like hard and stubborn uh, concerning this idol, this false idol. And and I realized my faith in, in in believing that God could change my heart was was waning. Now, do you ever experience this when you've got a huge problem and you start to pray about it? And and as you're praying about the problem, thinking about the problem, praying about the problem, it's like I've got a real big problem, and your faith is just kind of going down. This isn't working. <laughs> Prayer is supposed to strengthen your faith, you know, and the more I pray, it's like, 
well, I've really got a big problem. I didn't even realize until I started praying about it. Anybody else experience that? Okay. So that's why you want to stir into your prayer time, time to meditate on God's promises. And so what I did Monday, uh, two verses in particular, Matthew chapter 7, verse 8, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And I just prayed that promise, said, Lord, my faith is getting weaker here thinking that you can change my heart. Help me to believe, Matthew 7, 8, everyone who asks, what? Receives. And I just prayed over that. And then I prayed over Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit, is the way Jesus teaches it in Luke 11, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I needed an increased work of the Holy Spirit to change my heart. And so that strengthened my faith. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm asking. He will give. And then one other verse, Psalm 51, verse 10, I think it was. This isn't explicitly a promise, but I think a promise is implied where David prays after, remember after his adultery with Bathsheba and his killing of her husband Uriah, and he prays and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Again, that's not technically a promise, but the fact that David prays it, and that's in the scriptures, shows that when you pray that, God will do that. So... I, I meditated on those three promises, Matthew 7, 8, Luke eleven thirteen, 13, and Psalm 51, 10. And as I prayed over those promises, my faith, which had been on the skids, had started to reverse and slowly started to grow. And then I was able to pray, and, and the Lord did change my heart. I didn't really sense all of that on Monday, but Tuesday I could tell my heart was different. Wednesday I was, I was free. That's how it is sometimes, okay? Sometimes sins have such a strong hold and the Lord, I mean, the Lord could take it away on Monday, but it's like, it's good to, to humble Fuller a little bit here. And, and it was a good thing. And it was good. And he, he set me free. He delivered me. So he, as he prays, he strengthens his faith by meditating on God's promises. Read verse 148 again to see that. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. That's why he's meditating on God's promise. Okay, sixth. He appeals to God's steadfast love as a reason God should answer. This is huge. Verse 149, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. Do you ever pray that way? Say, Father, listen to me now, I ask, because of your mercy, because of your steadfast love, according to your steadfast love, hear me, answer me. Do you ever pray that way? Use that language? And here's why this is so crucial. Uh, depending on your, your personality, how you rank on the personality tests, each of us are susceptible to one of two deadly lies. Some of us are susceptible to the lie that I've sinned too much for God to answer me. Okay, if we're going to be honest, maybe about half of you would raise your hand for that one. Okay, that, that's, that's the lie I'm susceptible to. Others have a whole other lie that we are susceptible to, and that is, um, I'm so good that God ought to answer me. Okay? Very different lies here, which we are all susceptible to depending on your temperament and psychological makeup. Okay? To over, and both of those lies are deadly. Deadly. They will destroy prayer. They will destroy your spiritual life. And if we will pray, God, 
Answer me according to your steadfast love. Both lies will be overcome. Here's how it works. If you are thinking you've sinned too much for God to answer your prayer, when you pray, God, hear me according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy, you're reminded that it's all about God's mercy. Not about what you deserve or don't deserve, because we don't deserve it, right? But God will answer because of his steadfast love through the cross of Jesus Christ. Sinners, just like Joe talked to us this morning, prodigal son, right? We turn back and the father is running towards us, right? The son had done something horrible and the father was running towards him. And so because of God's steadfast love in Christ, the moment you turn and say, help me, the Father is running towards you no matter what you did 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago. Okay, so that's how you overcome the lie, thinking that you've sinned too much. This is also how you overcome the lie, thinking that you've been good enough for God to answer you. Because that is just as deadly. Totally wrong. It is a travesty of the gospel. It's blasphemy against God to think that you've been good enough That God owes you good? No! That destroys grace. It makes the cross nothing. God hates that. Hates that. Yes, he does. He hates that. So how do you overcome that? I'm there. I've struggled with that one. You say, God, please answer me. That's right. It's according to your mercy. Because I can think I've done right, but even my best goodness righteous in this life is still tinged with sin. And and Lord, all I deserve really in who I am, I deserve hell forever. But you're a God of mercy. And so, Lord, humble me with your mercy now that I need mercy, that I have mercy through Christ, that you will give me mercy. And I come to you reminded it's mercy. So strip away my self-righteousness and answer me because of your mercy. Oh, isn't that sweet? So do you pray this way? Because I can almost guarantee every time you come to God and ask for his help, one of two lies is like, just starting to bubble. It's either the lie of, you've sinned too much, how can you ask God? Or it's the lie of, you've been really good, God's going to totally answer this one. Okay? And one of those two lies is almost always bubbling up inside of you. So kill it! Okay? By praying this way. All right? Okay, that's sixth. Now seventh. This is kind of interesting. He's just appealed to God's steadfast love as a reason. And now seventh, he appeals to God's justice as a reason for why God should answer. End of verse 149. Um, Read the whole verse. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. And what does that mean? He's saying, God, you're just. And it sounds like you could almost take it. God, you're just. And I've been so good that if you're going to be just, you'll you'll, you'll answer me here. It's not what he means. Uh, Because the next verse... Helps us see what he means. What he's saying is, God, you're a just God, and these men who are after me are evil, and they are far from your law, and so it would be just for you not to let them succeed in their plans. Notice what he says in verse uh, 150. He says, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. So what's the point of verse 150? It's to explain what he's just said in verse 149. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. What I mean is, these people who are coming to take my life, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They're far from your law. So you are just. So it would be right for you not to let them succeed in their plans. Do you see that? Okay, so what what, what the author is doing here is he's simply giving God reasons. 
Give God reasons. We've seen that numerous times in Psalm 119. Give God reasons for why it would be righteous, fitting, appropriate for God to answer your prayer. Okay, one more. Eighth. He reminds himself of who God is. Verses 151 to 152. But you are near, O Lord. They draw near, verse 150, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Now, he's not saying these things to God because God doesn't know them. God knows all these truths about God. Okay, right? He's saying these things because he needs to be reminded of them. Again, he is sprinkling his prayers with statements to God about who God is. Just breaks into worship, Lord. You're near, you're righteous, Lord. Okay? Your testimonies have been true forever, and that strengthens his faith and gives glory to God, and so that helps him to continue to pray. So that's the eighth. Okay, now, any questions before we... We close here. Any questions about these eight ways that he prays or about times when you have faced a seemingly insurmountable problem and have asked God for help and what you experienced? Any questions? Well, here's, here's how I've helped myself with that same question, and that is the sovereign God has chosen and has predestined that his heart would be moved to do the things he's chosen to do through you praying and through you giving him reasons. Right? Because the sovereign God works through means. Right? There's verses that say we have not because we ask not. So from our vantage point, our asking is crucial in terms of what's going to happen or not. That's And that's all part of God's sovereignty. He's chosen to work through prayer. Okay? So there's times where you have not because you ask not. And so giving reasons is just part of that effective asking I mean that's 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 how it's helped that's how I've answered that question for me because prayer really is crucial um, because God has chosen to work through prayer like we, we can't say you know God's going to save everybody whether we preach the gospel or not the Bible says we'll know um, he's not because he's chosen to save people through our witnessing same with prayer. We can't say God's going to do what he's going to do whether we pray or not. It's like, well, no, because he's sovereignly chosen to work through our prayers to do what he's going to do. So we pray. Hope that's helpful. Huge question. Such an important question. We would write books about that question, but anyway. I don't think... We need to have faith to pray, right? Prayer needs faith, okay? But I don't think that that means that you need to believe that what you're asking, that the exact thing you're asking for is what he's going to give you. Because we see places in the Bible where he doesn't do that. Like Paul's thorn in the flesh passage. God did not give Paul what he was asking for there. Paul asked for the thorn to be removed, and God said, no, but I'm going to so pour my grace and my nearness into your life that you'll be completely filled and satisfied. And that's what God did. So I don't think it's necessary that we believe that God will do exactly what we're asking in order for our prayers to be to be of faith. There are times when God will give us faith to know that he is going to do exactly what we're asking, and that's what I think is called the spiritual gift of faith, which we can't manufacture that, we can't will that into being. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm sure many of you, how many of you have experienced that happening where you're praying for something and you all of a sudden, you know God's going to do it. 
Not, not, be, not because you've like, I've got to have faith here, but it's like, you know. I mean, I've had maybe two or three times in my life where that's happened. And that's the gift of faith. But again, that's not required for our prayers to be of faith. So what, what is faith? Faith means, here's what I think it means. It means you, you believe that God is going to give you either exactly what you're asking for or something even better. That's what I think the Bible teaches. So, And does it, does it help you if, if what you're emotionally banked on is that he will either give you exactly what you're asking for or something even better? Does that help? Because that's what I think the promise is. Okay? Really important question. I'm sure all of us uh, struggle with that question, have asked that question. So we need, we need to pray. That's in, that's in the city of Mosul up in North Iraq, I think it is, and that just came down yesterday. So very important. Let's be praying for the believers there in Mosul. But let me just come back to your point about forgiveness. So again... Jesus did teach very clearly that if we don't forgive others, then uh, that's going to be an obstruction for our prayers being answered. And so we need to forgive. But now it's, it's important, again, to point out, and I know you understand this, Dave, and that is it's not that our forgiveness earns answers from God. It's that if we're not forgiving other people, we're not trusting Jesus. Right? That, that, that faith connection which links us to Jesus, his death, and his righteousness, that's becoming tenuous if we're not forgiving other people. And so we've got to come back to trusting him once again with faith. And if we trust him, his death, his resurrection, his promises, his righteousness clothing us, our hearts will be changed so we can forgive. And then when we do forgive, that'll show that our faith in Jesus Christ is genuine. We're joined to him, which is why God can answer our prayers. So our forgiveness doesn't earn it. It just shows that we have the faith that connects us to the one who did earn it. Okay, really important. Huge difference there. Okay, here's what I want us to do after we answer one last question. It's a huge question. I've been trying to write a blog post on that for about six months. And I, I start and I stop, and I start and I stop. But here, here's a couple of thoughts that, that uh, my dad shared with me that I think are helpful. Um, one is if a promise is given to, to, the New Test, to New Testament believers in general, you can bank on it. Okay? Right? 100%. If it's given to um, all of Old Testament Israel, you might be able to bank on it unless it's something that the Bible explicitly has said no longer applies, like the promise for the, of the land. Well, it doesn't apply to the church today, okay? So you wouldn't apply that one. But God's promise in Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will rescue you and you will honor me, that still applies today. Okay? There's nothing, that's taken, nothing in the New Testament that says that that is no longer true. And then promises that are given to individuals, you need to be more cautious about, like Abraham was promised that he would have a biological son, well, there's no reason to think that that applies to everybody. We see barren couples, we see that, and we don't we don't see that being a universal promise in in the scriptures. So those are just a couple of principles my dad shared with me. Does that does that start the ball rolling? And you know, talk to your home group about it. Talk to other you know, because the, as the body of Christ studies together. So by the way, it's been great having Luke here. You're here for is this your last Sunday here? One more, one more Sunday, and then and then back to Ohio. So he's been here on an internship. Uh, with Cisco for the summer and been part of our home group and it's been great having you here, man. Okay, here's how I want us to close. Um, I'd like to invite those of you who right now are facing what seems like an insurmountable problem just to stand where you are. We won't embarrass you. You won't need to say anything. But just go ahead and stand where you are and what I want to do is I want to pray over you these last two verses where he reminds himself of who God is and I just want to pray and ask the Lord to remind you of who he is. So if you've got big problems, go ahead and stand right now. We want to pray. 
So be bold, chance it. This is going to be everybody. Well, it may not be everybody, but it should be lots of you. Okay, and then then the rest of you, why don't you gather around, stand up, and let's just lay hands on these that are standing. I'm going to move around a little bit. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to come now, that the Father would pour out the Holy Spirit through Jesus and strengthen and comfort these who are facing problems. So, again, if you're, if you're one of those facing problems, raise your hand so we don't forget. These are the ones who need prayer. Okay, and let me pray. And as I'm praying, you just silently affirm what I'm praying in your heart because God loves it when God's people gather together to pray. So let's pray for these who are standing now. Father, thank you for those who are standing here. We love them. You love them, even more importantly. And they are facing big problems right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use these truths from your word as we pray for them, that you would meet them now and encourage them now and strengthen their hearts now. So first of all, Lord, the truth that you are near. In Jesus Christ, you are near to each of them. You are nearer to them than the problem that they're facing. You are near. And the fact that they've got a problem does not mean that you're far. You are near. You've not forgotten them. You've not forsaken them. You've not abandoned them. So, Lord, help them to to see that, to feel that, to trust you for that, that you are near to them, that you are looking upon them. You are fully aware of the problem that they're going through. You have plans for this problem that they're going through. You have good plans for this problem that they're going through. And you are near to them. So, Lord, strengthen them with that truth, I pray. And then, Lord, the truth that all your commandments are true. That when you command them to not worry, that's true. That's true. It's always true. It always will be true. That when you command them to trust you, that's true. That when you command them not to fear, that's true. When you command them right now not to be anxious, that that's true. So, Lord, let them hear you speaking these commands, these commands that are true, because you're speaking to them right now, and you're saying to them, trust me. You're saying to them, don't be anxious. You're saying, don't be afraid. So, Lord, speak these to them right now and strengthen them through them, I pray. And then this last truth, that the truth of your word is founded forever which covers all your promises. So I pray that you'd strengthen them, Lord, that you've promised to provide all their needs in Christ Jesus and that that truth of Philippians 4.19, it is founded forever. So you will supply all their needs in Christ Jesus regarding this problem. And you've promised to strengthen them spiritually, emotionally, in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.13, and that that truth is founded forever. You will do it again here. They're feeling weak. You will strengthen them. Thank you for that truth. Lord, you've promised to be a very present help in trouble in the Psalms. That truth is founded forever. You will be very present help to them in this trouble that they're facing. You've promised to work through this problem to bring them great good. You've promised that the day will come and they will look back on this problem and thank you for allowing this problem to come because of the good that you're bringing to them through it. 
that truth is founded forever, that you will use this problem to bring them great good. So strengthen them with that, I pray. Lord, this, you've promised that this temporary light affliction is producing for them an eternal weight of glory. And that truth is founded forever. That truth is not going anywhere. That truth is solid. It can be taken to the bank. Lord, speak that truth to them and strengthen them with it, that this momentary light affliction is producing for them an eternal weight of glory. Their joy in Christ's glory will be increased forever because of this trial that they're going through as they they look to you through it. So, Lord, please, we pray for these, our brothers and sisters, who are facing big problems now. Strengthen them. Let your peace be upon them, Lord. Help them. Deliver them. We pray in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I pray for all of us here that when big problems come, we would pray and seek your face and ask you for help through Jesus Christ. Strengthen us as a church body in doing that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.